welcome pudding people to another episode of everybody loves pudding i am your host ken seymour and i have to say i am so excited this episode is very special to me because we have a guest on that i have admired the work of for an extremely long time uh, we have mr jimmy palmiati inker writer screenplay adapter man about uh, town yeah, screen, screenplay writer um tv writer uh i don't know if i've adapted a screenplay uh <laughs> that would mean i'd have to what have to rewrite it or, or <laughs> film it but uh, i've definitely written screenplays for sure just you've you've had so many hats and and seem to yeah. be able to to have your fingers in a lot of pies that are that are so key to uh our entertainment and and the pop culture uh, environment as a whole. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Ken. My pleasure. So you just got back from London. How was that? It was fun, although Amanda came back with a flu, not not the uh, one that's making the news, though. Um, just a regular flu. Uh, it's not the corona flu. It's more like the Budweiser flu. She'll get over it in a couple of days. Well, that's good. But, um, no, it was great. We were invited out by Warner Brothers and DC Comics to the uh, Birds of Prey premiere. And um, so we got to walk the yellow carpet because the birds obviously had to have their own color carpet. Nice. Um, we got to see the film in a big IMAX theater. And then we uh, went to the after party with all the stars and the people behind the film. And then the next day we went and they had a pop-up roller skating rink, a Harley Quinn themed roller skating rink that we went to. So it was a, a fun couple of days, although Amanda managed to pick up a cold it was a little cold in London. We're in Florida, so there is a difference. Um, but it was a fun, really fun trip. We had a great time. Have you ever been to London before, or is this your first trip? It's like my fifth trip to London. I used to go see my buddies like Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon and all those guys there. And then um, two years ago, we did the MCM Con, which was uh, like the uh, Reed uh, con like the New York Con of London, and that was our first time we did a convention there. So I've been there plenty of times. It's 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 a wonderful, beautiful place with a a great sense of uh, history. It's it's like the difference between London and New York is the buildings in London have been there for hundreds of years. New York, everything's kind of new, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so there's a lot of history in London. It's just a beautiful it's a beautiful town. Uh, nice people. I, I, you know, unlike when I travel, I didn't have to learn another language, you know. Uh, so that was kind of easy going. Well, that kind of depends on which section of England you're in. but <laughs> That's true. I mean, it, we, we saw Grant Morrison while we were there, and, and Grant has a bit of an accent, so uh, and he speaks low. So, you know, I kind of had to fine-tune what he was saying, but uh, the more you hang out with him, the more you get it. You know, it's it's he has a certain beat to the way he speaks. What did you think of Birds of Prey in general? Did, was it everything that you hoped it would be? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, Amanda and I loved it. We we got to say that, um, you know, Christine that wrote it uh, really did her research. Her and Margot really, uh, you can tell they read all our books. There is so much stuff in there besides Bernie the Beaver. I mean, there's so much stuff in the way Harley acts and um, the way she reacts to things and then the situation that's going on. And the movie had this kinetic energy to it that was um, very different from other superhero films. I got to say it was more obviously more adult since it's rated R. Um, and it, and it kind of goes places you don't think it's going to go. Um, and it has this energy. It has this like kinetic, real kinetic energy to it. Um, I was going to say Kirby crackle to it, but it's it's less <laughs> Kirby, more just more like um, a momentum to it that uh, where a lot of other superhero movies are very like organized and trying to get everything in a row and have big reveals and everything. This feels like a Harley Quinn comic. It feels, you know, like everything's out of control. Things are going from crazy to crazier. And then with the birds of prey thrown in, it just. It, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's going to be really interesting because I think on some levels it might be polarizing, especially if people are expecting like a Marvel Comics type movie, you know, where it's this, it is it is its own thing. Like the Joker was its own thing. This is its own thing. And um, for me, a person who sees too many movies, I appreciated that it went and said, okay, this 
we're not Batman and, and it's not Aquaman and it's not the X-Men. It's the Birds of Prey and Harley Quinn. So it should have its own. So I kind of appreciated it for that. Um, and then talking to Christine and Margot after the movie, um, we talked about, you know, how they read all the comics that we did and, and how we saw it on the screen. Little nuances, little things Harley does that we were just laughing out loud in the theater when we saw it. So uh, overall, we both loved it. Well, it seems like it would be a, a fine line to walk because you want to be able to um, to honor the source material, but you also don't want yeah. to retread everything that's already been done. You want to, to do something new, to say something new, or at least present it in a light where people may not have expected. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the most 99.9% of the population do really does not buy comic books, right? So when we have a movie called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, they go, oh, Harley Quinn from the Suicide Squad movie, right? That's right. basically the general. And then when they hear Birds of Prey, they have no idea who the Birds of Prey are. So um, the movie does take its time to kind of say, hey, this is something new and we realize that. Um, it just doesn't dive into story and characters you have no idea about. It kind of sets up the world Harley's in and then it takes from there. So... I thought it was a smart choice. Be, I, the only thing I would have changed, I would have made the movie and I would have just made it the, the same title as our book, which is Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Yeah. You know, in a way. But I get what they were doing. You know, the title is very, it, it's very interesting, the title they picked. And it totally makes sense to the movie. Um, but yeah, without giving away, because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody. Right, it's, right. it's If you like Harley Quinn, you'll like the movie. If you like DC Comics, you'll probably like the movie. If you like crazy adventure, and you'll like it. I, I think, you know, it's funny because people were telling me, well, it's made for girls. And I started laughing and I said, oh, no, it's made for everybody. There's plenty for the guys to enjoy in this movie. I mean, it is rated R. It is over the top. Mm -hmm. You know, some violence and crazy stuff going on. But... I think it's for everybody. Not not for eight-year-olds, though. I think it's a little heavy. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> There's a reason it's rated R. Yeah. Well, Harley has a complicated, well, not complicated, but an interesting history. I mean, considering that it was not a character that started in the comics, it was an originally an animated character that was so popular that it made its way into the comics, which I would think would leave a lot of room for expansion of character. And you've been writing Harley Quinn now for a while. What about that character is is something that you really love? What what part of the canvas of of Harley just kind of gives you a little spark and and makes you smile when you write it? She's a she's a wish fulfillment character. So if somebody does her wrong, she can react with a bazooka or an eighteen wheeler. Or so I do like that aspect of her. I like that she's grounded. She considers her friends, her family, and animals like these are important things to her. And so she's very grounded in some level, on some level, and that and it makes when she's not grounded that much more entertaining. When she does flip into another personality, or her violent streak comes out, or a sexual streak comes out, or so she's an unpredictable character. And and the fun with that is, um, not a lot of people can tell me I'm writing the character incorrectly. Like Amanda and I are doing it incorrectly because we keep to the core. It, it's what Paul Dini. And Bruce Tim created. We stick to that. It's it's not. She's not that far a stretch. She's the she's the next level from what they created. You know, because um, Paul Dini was with us too, and Paul and 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 uh, and um, and and uh, uh, Paul and and come on, I just said his name. Paul Dini and Bruce Tim. Yeah, Bruce. Sorry, my it's 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 morning for me. I understand. Um, Bruce, and Paul, Bruce and Paul love what we did with the character. We we got their blessing on it. And as Paul said, it's like the next stage. It's where, of course, naturally she would go. She would she would push back from the Joker eventually and get out on her own. And uh, and I think that was the appeal for Amanda and I to, to kind of take the character and say, what would this character do if she needed to move away from the life she had? And uh, and that's what we did for the five years we wrote it. And even with the new series, the the Birds of Prey miniseries coming out um we kind of focus on that a little bit too the idea that even though she goes back to gotham there's a reason for it but you can see how different she is when she goes back and uh 
in our book, she's back with the birds of prey. So it's like the second time she's met with them. And so the language and everything is different. I think that although it doesn't directly tie in with the movie, it's a it's a pretty good book to get as soon as you saw the movie to go out and pick up the book the next week. So, yeah, I, I definitely have to admit it. It's, it's a character I would never have expected would be one that I would enjoy as much as I have. But that's often kind of a, a, a the fun surprise about comic books is you can be exposed to something that you would never expect would be just totally fun. And uh, and as a as a great way to expand uh, what you like, you know, it's kind of interesting that that DC is a little more. I feels like DC is a little more common with characters that don't necessarily originate in the comics because uh, uh, the ISIS character was the same way. I mean, right. back with the Captain Marvel television show back before the litigation side of things. Yeah, uh, but uh, it it's kind of fun to see the interplay between between the two industries. Do you think that the number of movies and television shows based on comic book properties will have kind of a reciprocal positive influence on the comic book industry. I, I, you know, so I don't think everyone who sees a comic movie runs out and gets a comic for a couple of reasons, right? Number one, the comics aren't in the theater. So the time we do have their attention Comics aren't available to them. I, I know Regal Theaters is giving away copies to, of Harley Number One if you buy a pre-ticket or something, and we're happy for that. But we have that little area where they're interested in what's happening with the movie, and it usually goes to toys or to products or video games way before comics because you have to actually read when you buy a comic. And, and so people don't run the comics. But I think with every movie we gain some audience and it's not a lot. Like I said, we can, you know, our, our comic audience is small. Our comic influence is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because I posed a question on Twitter, you know, how would you want, what would you want to see change in comics if you could, you know? And it's funny because people, the most common answer is they don't like big crossovers or events. They say that, <laughs> but publishers, the publishers say the things that sell the most to them or reboots and crossovers. Oh yeah. So it's mixed. See, they're getting all mixed signals, right? So this is a this is a thing where the sales are saying one thing, and then the people are vocal about another thing. Which is, you know, let's be honest, that's the internet. A movie could be a hit on the internet and not make any money in the theaters. Sure. You know, or a movie could be not talk about on the on the internet and it's a gigantic hit. You know, so. It's it's really not none of these nothing is a hundred percent sure, um, but I think we gain a little audience. I think it's really important to have product out. I wish our book was in theaters the minute they came out, because I think people would pay five or six. What is it? Six bucks for the black label? Yeah, six dollars. I think people would fork out six dollars no problem after seeing the film to get a book on the way out. Well, yeah, you know? that's less than the popcorn. Um, so yeah, so we keep missing these opportunities. And I think it's going to be the only thing I've seen where they really try to get comics to grow is uh, DC does, does the hundred page giants for the uh, for and they're in Walmart, Target, they're in all the stores now. Retailers can order them so they can you know they can relax with that as well. Um, but that's the only thing I see getting the stuff out there right now. I just think it's a hard time to sell things where people have to read. I think it's just it you know it's it's. It's like music, you know, everybody, they look at the same 10 artists, but realistically, you and I have like 50 other artists we love yeah. and support. It's it's just a very interesting, entertainment's just a very interesting thing. And it's funny because, and I don't know if you find this, with all these channels we have now to choose from, I still feel like sometimes I'm like, yeah, I don't know what I want to watch. You know, and it's a really weird feeling. I mean, I just finished The Watcher and Amanda's like, uh, not, not the, the Witcher, I'm sorry. We just finished watching The Witcher. And she's like, what's next? And I'm like, well, I said, do you want to do comedy? Or, you know, we have to figure out what we want to do. Right. I just think so much entertainment is spoon fed to us. I think like uh, people just want to go outside and stare at the sky for an hour or two. You know, I, I just think there's so much of that. I wish comics were getting bigger. I'm hoping they're selling more. The problem I have is my office is inside a comic shop. So I see what comes in every week. There are way too many comic books. Yeah, there are a lot you of know? titles. And not enough people buying them. So um, I don't really know. I, I, I really, 
I just, Amanda and I always try to do books where it's fun. Fun is the key word. And we keep hoping that the books we do appeal to a certain audience. The people that love the dark superheroes where everything's, you know, heavy and everything, they're probably not buying our books, <laughs> you know? Um, but we feel there's enough of that that fun comics are harder to do in a way. I don't know. You've you, you've had some you've had some hand in some some darker stuff. I remember uh, a few issues uh, from the old Midnight Suns series that you worked on, and, uh, yeah, and some yeah, twenty ninety nine stuff. And yeah, that. But even like Punisher twenty ninety nine was fun. I mean, she, he was sticking five guys on a on an electric chair to save electric. You know, at a time he was he was toasting guys five times. That's true. <laughs> There's some humor in there. I I do like dark humor as well. I mean, Jonah Hex was a very straightforward dog series, but um, but I really do prefer to write like Harley or Power Girl or Painkiller Jane. I, I really like the fun stuff, but it's not as easy as people think. I think it's easier to write, way easier to write straight superheroes and dark stuff any day of the week. Because humor, man, you can miss by a mile with humor. Right. You know, dark is just dark. Somebody dies, somebody explodes, whatever. It's pretty much the same. Well, you definitely see that with humor all the time, the number of... Uh comedians facing a certain amount of backlash for the type of uh, humor that they put out that they've been putting out for some time and when taken in context uh in context is not nearly as controversial as it's being made out to be no i mean you can't really make a, a movie like uh trading places right now right and it's ridiculous because if you watch that movie it's hysterical and it's still funny but people would be oh i don't like the way that's portrayed and this and you just like Okay, you're gonna, you know, you just have to be really careful with that because we have to understand it. It is humor, you know, and comedians, that's what they do for a living. So sometimes they make fun of things, sometimes they point to obvious things. Um, we just have to pick our fights a little better, right? I think getting mad about everything's no good, getting mad about the right thing is very good. Yeah. Well, kind of speaking of the the humorous side of things, uh, there was a, a specific title that you that you were involved with that I thought kind of exemplified that to a, a certain extent, and I kind of wanted to to know a little bit about the history of it because I had not heard about it uh, uh, when it came out originally and just kind of discovered it because again, so many titles I lose track. But uh, the pro that was a, an interesting concept. Yes, a superhero prostitute. It was a, um, it was me, Garth Ennis, Amanda Connor, and uh, John McRae were in Essen, Germany, for a uh, book fair, uh, a book fair there, and we were in a bar called Fritz Patrick's, not a very Irish bar. It was in Germany. It's called Fritz Patrick's, and we were having way too much to drink, and uh, we were just talking about, you know. What if there was a superhero prostitute? And then Amanda started drawing on napkins, like some drawings. And we were all laughing. And I said to Garth and Amanda, I said, well, if I, I can get a deal for us to get somebody to publish it, you guys want to do it? And we're like, yeah, let's try it, you know? And uh, I actually shopped it around the three or four places that absolutely said no way. <laughs> um, and Image was the first company to say, yeah, we'll publish that in a heartbeat. So... Uh, we brought it to Image with Amanda on art, Amanda and Paul Mounts and myself on art, and uh, Garth wrote it, and we Amanda heavily influenced it, and then uh, I kind of edited the whole thing, put it together, and, and got it sold. Um, it was a fun one-shot. It's in its eighth printing right now. Uh, it, it, we call it the wow. Filthy Watchman. It just keeps selling. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. If I bring 20 copies to any convention, I will sell all 20 copies by the end of the show. Because people look at it and go, what's that? And then I said, well, you know, look, it's cover price. Give it a shot. I always say, if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Mm -hmm. I always do that at the con. If you don't like this book, you got two days to read it. You can come back Sunday. I'll give you your money back if you don't like it. I've never gotten the copy back from anyone. Well, and I have to say that the even with nothing else, just the artistic style does such a great job in that particular book of telling the story. It's it's really it's it's it seems it's more lighthearted than I expected it to be. Yeah, well, it's you know Amanda. So Amanda has this secret power, right? She's the she's the uh, I, I say she's got like a little Chuck Jones in her. Um, <laughs> she gets she gets right to the heart of a facial expression. You can tell when somebody's happy, sad, you know. And because of that, her characters actually look at you 
the reader, right? And so we connect with the stuff Amanda draws because there's interaction between the characters and the reader. And it's why a lot of times you say, you know, it's really nice art. You look at an artist, but I don't really care. Mm -hmm. It's because you'll see some of the artists that are just so skilled. You don't connect with the eyes. Yeah. You don't connect with the face. And even though it's so skilled, there's this cold feeling you feel about it. Like, I don't really care what's going on. I don't want to read it. And with Amanda, she kind of engages you right away. The other thing Amanda has with a superpower, besides her storytelling ability, is you can, she was in the Joe Kubert school, you know, she, Joe was one of her teachers and he taught her, if you can't read the page without the word balloons, you fail. So what Amanda's stuff is you take all the word balloons, you can pretty much figure out the story. And it's why I have a problem with a lot of newer artists because they don't understand the nuances of storytelling. They look in with pretty pictures and then you read the comic and you're lost. You're like, I, I don't even know what's going on at this point. Um, so she has that. And then she has a superpower of now she's been doing comics. She's been in comics for almost 30 years. Right. So she's a woman in comics for a long time. She can draw sexy women in a comic and it doesn't come off as dirty or filthy. It, she has that Betty Page thing where it's sexy and playful and not threatening. And um, it's a really hard balance. And I can't tell you how many artists tell me they're like, I wish I could nail what Amanda has because it just has this this Betty Page-ness to it. It's like the people are very comfortable with this sexuality, uh, the characters are. And, and it, it came into play when we did uh, Power Girl. Mm -hmm. Because when we first took on Power Girl, people were like, well, the character's kind of dated and, you know, she's busty and it's ridiculous. And then we did it and Amanda drew her and we wrote her in a way that this is the way I'm built. Deal with it. And that series was a big hit because of that. You know, where people were at first were saying, how can you do this comic? It's all about the TNA. And we were like, look, just because a woman's built a certain way, you're, you, all, everything else you're filling in is wrong. You know, right. get to know the character. And that's always been uh, her strong point is the, the characters, the all character driven stories. I forgot what the original question was, but I hope that answered. <laughs> Meandering is just fine. That's the way we like that's, it on the show. That's the place I live in the end of it. <laughs> no, uh, the, I, it always seemed to me that it's, it's a lot of it is the, um, the posture and, 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 in the body language. It, uh, yes. I, I talk to a lot of writers and, and you, there's always that discussion of, when you're writing, is it more difficult to write somebody that is of a different gender than you are? Are you being authentic? Uh, but that kind of also sometimes feels like it crosses over to the art too. You can observe the form of somebody else, but if you haven't lived in that form, it's it's still going to be a little alien. It, it, that's always what it felt like to me anyway. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, look, I've written female characters my whole career. You know, from Power Girl to Harley to... Painkiller Jane to uh, Trigger Girl, all, all, I, I can't say Hawk Girl, all these ca female characters. And I've written them based on the women I know. So the women I know are strong. Oh, with my mom, you know, four boys, strong. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're smart. They're smart. They're smarter than the men most of the time. And, um, and that's at least the women in my life are always like, you know, a little bit smarter, a little more adapted. I have uh, friends that are bisexual, I have friends that are gay, I have all these kind of things. And when I would write a character, I would research, I would ask them, i say, hey, you know, look, you're, you're obviously in a, in a gay relationship, you know, with somebody else. How would, how would you speak about this? Or how would you say that? Or how do you look at this? And a lot of that is, you know, being very aware of where you are and being aware of what you're writing and taking some time to not fulfill, it's not about my wish fulfillment. I'm writing for an audience that, you know, uh, look, I, I wrote Westerns. I'm, I'm a guy from Brooklyn, mm. all right? I wrote, I wrote, with Justin Gray, we wrote like five years worth of Westerns. And I was never brought up on a ranch. I, um, I uh, was not a cowboy at any point or anything. But it's about research, right? And it's about language and it's about understanding what people are thinking and how they act and understanding that what you write is not you. Right. You're writing characters. I, and when I was doing Uncle Sam and the Freedom Fighters, people were like, I don't like the politics you put into this comic. And I always laugh. And I'm like, 
the book is named Uncle Sam, <laughs> Freedom Fighters. And I said, because they do certain things doesn't mean that's me. Like, right. I'm, I'm staying true to the character. So I think writing male, female, anything like that, you have to do a little research. It's great to talk to people. It's great to, you know, part of being a writer is living in the world and being very present. So you have to experience the, the world through different people's eyes all the time. And that's what makes you a better writer. I honestly, my own work, I'm very critical because I feel like I'm still at the starting stage of my work where I'm just, you know, there's other people that I admire. And I'm like, yeah, one day I'll be like them. I got to get better at this and I got to get better at that. I don't think that goes away. Hopefully it never goes away. Um, but like I said, I, I think uh, writing other characters, writing about people from outer space, obviously I can't go into outer space and obviously, uh, you know, all this kind of thing. So it comes down to imagination and, and, and uh, experience. I think for a writer, the rules are fall in love, get your heart broken, travel the world, experience things that other people experience, try things you never would try, um, read a lot, but live more. It's great to read books, but it's better. It's better to go to Ireland than to read about Ireland, right? Yeah. And it's and it's you know it's funny because um, I used to say any town. Amanda and I used to drive. We we still do it. We did it for three weeks last year. We just pick a state or two and we drive through it for three weeks, and we pick up local books. You know, every town has its local ghost stories and all. That. And you realize there's so much connecting stuff in the world, and there's so many, there's a billion stories out there. Um, and I think as you write, that's what you, people are always going to be, where do you get the story ideas? And I'm like, oh my God, there's so many. I don't know how to turn them off at some point. You know, the, the big fear of any writer is, I'm not going to have enough time in my life to tell all the stories I want to tell. And um, so part of that is writing from other people's points of views. You don't know. Look, I write a villain. I don't really feel like the villain feels, but I'm trying to understand the world in his eyes. And with Harley, as a good example, is I try to look at the world through her eyes. She's schizophrenic. She's got all. She's got mental problems. Obviously, split personality, and all this kind of stuff. But also, she's grounded and she's loving, and she's sweet. She's also misunderstood. She's also been in an abusive relationship. So there's a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of stuff to unpack. And Amanda and I spent five years doing a lot of unpacking with her. And I think that's where people bonded with the character. They saw something they related to in the character or something they were charmed by. Um, or the fact that, you know, in Harley, we would do these things where in the middle of an adventure, Harley would just stop and help somebody. Or she would go, she was breaking into the aquarium and then she'd go see the whales before she'd run over to see what she has to do. It's a very human thing to do, you know. Um, so we always try to put that into writing. And I think I think men and women could write men and women. I don't think I think the biggest problem I see is is them saying, well, if you're a woman, you should only write women characters or if you're a man, you should only write male characters. I don't, I don't think that's that's impossible. I don't think that's accurate. I think it comes down to talent. If you're a good writer, you can write whatever you want. If you're a bad writer, yeah, you're you going to have to do your work. Well, I I gotta say that the the gimmick always is what draws me, but that that human connection is is, is what keeps me there, um, and I, and you kind of see it across some of the work that you've done. I know, I was um, I was really impressed with um, I was really impressed with uh, Painkiller Jane, and when that got adapted uh, to television, that was kind of exciting. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about. Uh, how that came to be uh, the the creation because uh, that was kind of a different a different take on some things how that that character created in the book and then how it somehow transitioned into uh, a popular television show yeah we were well when Joe and I were doing we we did a bed comic so Joe Casada and I met we worked together at Marvel in DC and then we saved up enough money to put out our own comics and the first one we did was Ash which was a fireman superhero and we talked about, well, what would be our second one? And I said, well, let's do a female character, but I want to do something that's not a TNA character. Like she's, she's kind of like a, got a, a swimmer's body and she's kind of a badass. I said, she may be a rookie cop, you know, and we talked about some ideas. And Amanda says it all the time. Amanda says that in the Jane books, it's my brain. She goes, you're Jane. Like you, the stuff she says is like, comes out of your mouth all the time. And I do connect with the character 
because she's a no bullshit character that understands that she got a raw deal, but doesn't sit around sulking about it. Like she's almost in the in the in the philosophy of if I keep busy, I don't have to worry about things because I'm too busy, um, which is not a good rule, by the way. Um, you know, I, I always say slow down and have integrity is is my theme. But with Jane, we just wanted to create a character. There were other characters out, female characters out at the time, like Lady Death and she. And you know, it, you know there was a lot of different things, and we wanted to. We had a separate voice for Jane. And we got lucky, somebody at the Sci-Fi Channel. Actually, I connected with uh, this girl I met in New York, and she got me an interview with Sci-Fi. Eventually, we sold it to Sci-Fi. I got to work on a show, which is my first writer's room I ever worked in, which was really interesting, up at, Un up at Universal. And um, it was also my first reality of, hey, we love your comic. Now we're going to change everything. <laughs> and so... so uh, I, that was my first slap of that. I mean, in the writer's room when they were saying, well, we're going to make it more sci-fi and we're going to make it less about this. And because it has this budget, we're going to keep it. They're going to have like a main office and a crew she's going to be with. And I realized, oh, OK, it's like Law and Order, but with a with a super, super powered, you know, uh, female cop. And um, and it was interesting because I, I worked with some great writers in the room, but I definitely butted heads with them because uh the, the worst thing they can tell you is, oh, the creator's there? Oh, no. You know, we have to deal with the guy that created it. And, and I was very flexible, but there was some shit I had to push back with sci-fi. I pushed back with the writers. Um, I got to write. I, I was story editor, which meant I would give them notes and they decide whether they wanted to look at them or not. And then um, and I wrote one episode so called The League, which was episode 13. I wrote that. And I will say that episode, the character's closest to the character I created with Joe, um, attitude-wise and everything. You know, Kristana Loken was great on it, and she rolled with my script. But, you know, I butted heads with the director, of course. Um, and again, I think, you know, uh, one of the showrunners pulled me aside and he says, the problem, my, the problem with you, Jimmy, is you're too passionate. <laughs> That's a problem. And it, and it wasn't until years later I realized what he was saying, meaning you care too much. Um, <laughs> um, you know, so and we've gotten Jane back since. So I wrote I co-wrote a screenplay and we currently have that. We're actually going out casting right now on it Ooh. because it was supposed to be Jessica Chastain. And then Jessica, you know, it just didn't work out with Jessica. And uh, we're actually looking at a couple other people right now. The screenplay is very accurate to the comics. So, um we hope they're there. But until then, I still do the Kickstarters with Jane. It's just um, she's a character. She's bisexual. She's no bullshit character. She's has a she lives in New York. Takes everything takes place mostly in New York. Then my new my new book I'm doing, she actually goes to Europe, but um, to deliver somebody. But um, it's very close and personal, that book. Out of all the books I write, that one, I, I have no editor on it. I write what I want to write. If it goes adult, it goes adult. If there's sex, it's full-on sex. I don't pull back. Um, you know, for com for somebody who works for other people most of the time, it's nice to do your own thing. Well, kind of kind of to that note, uh, you've got a Kickstarter, uh, or there is a Kickstarter right now, the, about the creator-owned heroes? Yeah, that ends like today. So. Oh, okay. Well, we won't, we won't go into too much about that. But that kind of <laughs> that kind of is the, the starting point of something I wanted to ask. What, sure. what from... Your perspective, you've had a chance to work with a, a lot of people, different companies. You've worked for Marvel, you've worked for DC, you've worked for Image, you've worked for yourself. What is the the feeling? What is that that difference? And, and maybe what's kind of your, your feeling? What, what's good about the one and what's better about another? How, how does that feel for, for a creator? And, and what kind of freedom do you have when you have your own work and you're kind of in charge with everything? Well, when you when you when you run a popular book, you definitely have a little more power to mess with things until the book's super popular. And then you have to watch out for licensing people and people tell you you can't do that with the character. Like Harley was a character when we got Amanda and I got Harley. You know, it was you know, we, they gave us a book to do. They didn't think it was going to be around very long. They maybe, you know, see if people like it or not. 
as it got popular, obviously it went through the roof and went crazy. Now it's so popular, we have to watch what we do because it's one of their main characters and they do licenses with it, so we can't get anything too crazy. So that's working for other people. Now DC is one of, the reason I do so much work for DC is they are the best comic company to work for. They've treated Amanda and I like family. And it goes a long way. And we're very loyal people. So people treat us well, we treat them well right back. Marvel, when I was doing Marvel Nights, was great. After Marvel Nights, I'm a guy they call once in a while in a blue moon if there's something interesting. I'm not a go-to person for them. Um, that said, I just finished something for them. Um, I, I, if they ask me, you know, I loved writing like uh, 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 Daughters of the Dragon was my favorite thing I did with them. You know, I love certain Marvel characters and I love, you know, I, I have my friends there, Joe and Dan Buckley and David Bogart and a lot of, they're like family, extended family to me. Um, but DC's the one that like looks after me best. And then I love Image. I can bring something new to them and they, they're they they're interested and if Amanda and I do something. So I have a lot of freedom. But the problem with that too is everybody has an idea of what they want us to do. So DC will offer Amanda, once we're done with this, will offer like us like three or four things. Most of the time they're not they're not what we want to do, it's what they want us to do. You know? I can sit here and I could say I want to do Power Girl, and they'll say, Well, we're not looking for a new Power Girl series. But we have this, this, and that for you. That's what they do. Well, we can go to Marvel and Amanda can make a call and say, I want to do She-Hulk, and they'll probably give her She-Hulk, you know, that kind of thing. But what happens is when you get when you're doing it for a while, you realize, oh, I did that already. So I don't want to go back too much. You know, I want to go move forward. Um, so the freedom that Paper Films, my website, paperfilms.com, and my company, Paper Films, does is whatever Amanda wakes up and says, you know, I want to do a comic about a cat. You know, right away I can go on I can go on Kickstarter. And raise, uh, Amanda could have a book about a cat and raise a certain amount of money and we can actually go do it because there'll be enough audience that we've put together over the years working for the big guys that'll support it. And that's basically all you want as a freelancer is the ability to, for me, I've done 12 Kickstarters and they've all been funded. And that shows me that somewhere along the line, I picked up, Amanda and I picked up a certain amount of fans that will try new things with us. And it's not a giant audience. It may be 1,000 people, maybe 2,000 tops. It's not. But it's not the quantity. The, these people back our projects, and we take it personal. We deliver to these people. We send the books the best we can. Um, and that's really why you do mainstream books, is to get, not only have fun, but to gain your audience and maybe get some new people following you. Because at the end of the day, the companies look out for the companies, right? as right. usual, and the shareholders. And our job as creators is to make a name for ourselves. So a retailer says, oh, Jimmy Palmiotti's drawing that book. All right, let's order three more copies. So, you know, Jimmy's writing that. Let's order five more copies. It might sell. Well, Amanda Khan is drawing that. Let's order 20 more. You know, even though I don't know what it is, Amanda's doing it. Let's give it a shot. And that's how you build the confidence with the retailers. And that's basically what you spend your career doing as a, a creator is building your confidence between you, the customers, and the retailers. And uh, it's why my Twitter is so interactive with people. I listen, I answer, um, I comment, because we're all in this together. And I feel personally, I feel like I, I, I have these, these, these are the people I'm responsible for making sure I do the best work, work I can. That's and that was kind of the kind of the, the the flip that I was kind of hoping you would mention too with the social media, with the the changes that have happened over the last um, decade or so. Um, yeah, it's it's a different different environment for advertisement and getting the word out and everything, and the social interactions are completely different. And that's one of the reasons that I that I follow you on on Twitter is you don't seem to you seem to engage in a way that is um, essentially truthful and positive, but you act at the same time this is what it is. Uh, I, I hope you like it, but uh, if you don't, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to look at Twitter. I don't like Facebook, by the way. I'm not on Facebook. So I, I just don't trust fake Facebook. They've, right. they've let too, too much stuff slip and information slip. 
and I pulled myself off it like two and a half years ago because they have too much information. Mm -hmm. Okay, Twitter is a little more is a little more guarded, and you put stuff out there. Um, but I I try to engage with people as if they're sitting at the table with me, right? So if I write something where I like this movie and I get the guy right away goes that movie sucked, right? That's his response. I go oh, I'm sorry you didn't like the movie. Yeah. But nothing I say is going to convince you to like it. So, okay, have a nice day. Or I had it, I had, I just the other day I put in who's going to be going to see Birds of Prey this weekend. And I had three or four people say, I'm not. And I, and I, and I corrected them. I said, well, actually, my question was who is going? I, when I put the who is not going post up, you can answer a hundred times, you know? <laughs> um, but I'm very nice about it and very polite about it because I figure people have enough stress as it is. Right. Um, I had one guy, yeah, the other day he said uh, uh, Interstellar was the worst movie he's ever seen. And I just left and I said, oh man, I said, I, I said, I have to very strongly disagree with that. But hey, whatever you like, that's that's you. I don't give a shit. You know, what do I care? I think, um, I think he needs to watch some more movies. <laughs> yeah, I think he needs to watch one movie. If you've only seen one movie and that's the worst one, okay, I get it. Um, but anyway, so the other thing is, am I comfortable with what I just tweeted being the headline of a news story? Okay. Think about that for a minute before you press send. Yeah. On a thing. You're comfortable with that being the headline? Or would you like this to be how you're represented? Because, of course, we all have, we all can get pissed off. We can, look, I've had people just so rude to me. I've had like one or two death threats, which I had to report. Mm. And they were over ridiculous things. Like they were so ridiculous. I was like, one of the guys actually came back under another name and apologized to me. And I just said, look, I reported your other screen name. I'm sorry, but. You can't go around telling people I'm going to track you down and kill you or yeah. my wife to say that about my wife, you know, because that's not something you would say to my face for sure. Um, and uh, so but I realize people are in their own worlds a lot. And uh, so I try to have empathy. I try to slow down things. I try to slow down. Let me let me slow down. This person's obviously maybe having a bad day. Maybe something happened. And then I have integrity with my answer, which is like, I'll, I'll answer, I'll say, hey, I'm sorry you're going through that, or I'm sorry about that. We, we don't disagree, but I hope you get through that. I hope you have a nice day. Right. That tends to kill the anger a little bit. Um, it's sort of like, you know, a guy cuts you off in the car, you roll down the window, you scream, he screams, he screams louder, you scream louder. All right, but if you smiled and waved to him, he'd be very, he wouldn't know what to do, right? <laughs> And uh, the, 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 my favorite saying is the only power people have over you is your reaction to them. So I try not to empower idiots yeah. much. And I try not to I, – I said this to somebody the other day. I said you keep reposting these hateful posts trying to call the guy out. But what you're doing is just you're, – you're just a megaphone for what he's saying. You're just – you know – and people just don't think that way or they want to argue. And I and I get it. There's some people that love to look. I grew up in Brooklyn. There are people that were professional arguers. You know, they love to argue every day. I'm not one of them. I, I tend to want to find the middle ground where, you know, you don't like this. Why don't you like it would be a better question. Or what is it about it you didn't like? Or, you know, it's tough when they say, hey, I can't stand a man's artwork. I always say, well, there's plenty of other artists out there you should, to, for you to enjoy. But do you need to spend so much time telling people how much you hate it? You right. know, I don't understand the thinking of that. If what you, you met her, you would feel yeah. If, well, if you met her, you'd feel really terrible that you're standing there telling people how much telling her how much you hate her work. You know, because no matter what, she'd smile and be polite to you. And it and and again, that's I grew up with a lot of manners, so um, I tend to not be that that attacking creator. You can come at me with stuff you don't like. That's fine. You know, your opinions, all that stuff. It's fine. I am not the creator that's going to block you because you have an opinion. I will block you if you do something nasty. Though. Yeah. You know, say something stupid. Or I'll mute you if, if you too much with one thing and, you know, whatever. You're picking a fight. I, I get it. Sometimes it's fun to pick a fight with a comic creator you like. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a thrill there, you know? I, maybe, maybe it's for people that feel like they're invisible to a certain extent and just want to be seen. And that's the only yeah, way I think and, they can and do it. I have, I have empathy for that. I, I get, I get that my, my early years growing up, my first, at least eight years, I was a short kid. I felt invisible. 
I get that feeling, but I didn't want to be visible at other people's expenses, you know, and maybe that's just my Catholic upbringing or something, you know, it just felt like if I did it at somebody else's expense, it really felt bad. So, uh, you know, and again, it's empathy, right? It's, right. it's taking the time to not, you know, to, you know, the study of empathy is, is, uh, interesting because people think, you know, empathy is like some guy tells you, Hey, I have cancer. And the first response to you is from the person would be, Oh yeah, my cousin had cancer. You know, I hear it's not so bad. Whatever. That's not empathy. Empathy is I'm sorry for what you're going through and trying to understand it. So empathy always helps. I, I even sent the president a video on empathy. Uh, I tweeted him a, a video I'm sure he watched he said, it 12 times. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he made it his uh, business. But, you know, I, I, <laughs> I like to think at one point he goes, oh, what's that video about? You know, but we all know he doesn't actually no. look at responses. He just kind of puts it out there. Yeah. And that's kind of kind of what to to what you're saying. That's kind of what I've always tried to do. I, I avoid, for the most part, politics and anything else that can be um, something that can that can result in raising the ire and and creating an environment of conversation that's just going to devolve into a shouting match. But people love that though. They really, I think they get they get some kind of you know the the some uh, adrenaline rush out of it. I, I have my politics. When the president does something stupid, I point it out. When he does something good, I point it out. You know, I'm a very I'm a person that's worried about animals and the environment. So uh, when I see stuff like positive stories about that, I try to put it out there. But sadly, there's not enough going yeah. on. You know, you're not you're not wrong about that. Well, let's let's before before I dominate too much of your time here. Sure. I I kind of wanted to know you've had the opportunity to work with. Uh, a number of different artists and authors. Uh, and obviously you have your own inspirations for what kind of drew you into the industry. I was hoping you could tell me about somebody that was one of your favorite artists or authors or somebody that inspired you that maybe people wouldn't quite expect. Hmm. Well, okay. Cause I've never worked with him directly. Joe Kubert was a huge inspiration on me. Now, I've met Joe many, many times, but I never went to the Cubit School. Um, I just met him at cons, and I know his kids. And he's a guy that, you know, a career I watched since I read comics, uh, which would be early 70s, where Joe's work was everywhere. And then he started doing his own books and his own publishing. And he, you know, and then he put his school out making comics. And I just thought, this guy is like, He's unstoppable, you know? Um, he's just, besides doing a million comics, and then he does these political books, and then he does these books about growing up in New York, and I'm like, him and, like, Will Eisner, like, they, these guys went, and even though they worked for the companies, they went and stood out on their own and put out their own books, him, him and Will, actually, uh, Joe Kubert and Will Eisner, and I admired it so much, and, and whenever I would see Joe and I'd go up to the school or I'd see him in a show... I'd have a million questions for him. And I know I drove him crazy on some level, but also on some level, he really liked the questions I was asking him because it was the stuff that I was just like, so how did you get that out there? How did you decide I want to do this and put it out there? What if nobody bought it, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so I've always drawn inspiration from guys like him. And, and um, you know, and I, and I was from a generation where uh, you respect not only your elders, but like guys that are older than you that are talented. I, when the first time I met Frank Frazetta, I got to go to his house and hang out with him for a day. Oh, wow. And, and uh, he, so he was like, you know, he was like the biggest name. He was the guy, you know, he like, I never thought one day I'd be showing my artwork to Frank Frazetta in his house. Right. And so when that's happening that day, it's surreal. You want it to last forever. Um, it's a lasting memory. And then when I see Frank two months later at a show, he, he says, Jimmy, how are you? It's like, oh, I win, you know. Frank <laughs> <laughs> Rosetta remembers me. And same with Al Williamson and a whole bunch of guys, some of the you know the older guys. Bernie Wrightson becoming a close friend of mine. I never thought in a million years Bernie and I would be buddies. He was one of the first comic pros I met at a, at, a, at a, he did a gallery show in New York and like the comic art galleries, this tiny place in 1978. And I, I was in high school and I went up to him and I asked him what kind of brushes he used and he showed me 
all this stuff, and he talked to me. And then years later, I'm inking him on a Punisher, you know, number one for Marvel Knights. And we're hanging out in the bar drinking, telling stories. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like, like, this is the stuff that I never thought would happen to me. You know, people have that with celebrities and stuff. These were my celebrities. These were the guys I never thought in a million years I'd be in the same room with, let alone talking about the craft with, you know. And uh, so I've always been I've always been very lucky uh, with people like that, even guys like Steve Dillon and, you know, Darwin Cook being, he was my best friend for years until he passed, but such a talent. And, you know, and we become friends and like, like close friends. And he actually bought a house near where I live to be around all winter, you know? Um, so there's a lot of things like that, that it's nice to do the comics and it's nice to, but these relationships and getting to meet the people I admire, um, I mean, even, I mean, it's just such a lucky life. I mean, even last week, Amanda and I talking to, uh, uh, Margot Robbie at a party and with just the three of us talking and chatting and talking about Harley Quinn and how surreal, like what the hell, <laughs> why the hell am I there? You know, like how the hell did I wind up? This is like one of the biggest celebrities now in the world right. and we're all chatting about comic books and laughing about stuff. And I'm just like. Yeah, this is this is uh, an extraordinary life, and I do super, super, super appreciate it. You know, I am in the moment. I am definitely. Uh, I've learned to slow down everything, so I'm so I'm very present person, and part of that is being able to look at the what I've been given and 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 uh, hopefully share it with other people. I, I try to be helpful to others, and you know, um, thankful and. All that kind of stuff. So people inspire me. So it's the Kuberts, it's the it's the you know Will Eisens, the Bernie Wrightsons, the Barry Smiths. These people that I've met that I feel still feel like I'm not worthy on any level to them. Um, uh, so there's, it, they'll be continue. I mean, God, Dave Gibbons sitting and having a drink with Dave Gibbons talking about comics and stuff. It's like I said, that kind of stuff is just uh, um, I'm inspired by them all the time. And I, and I think I think uh, uh, it's it's a real gift or even even watching Amanda work in the other room, my wife work. I, it keeps me from penciling because I'm like, God, she's so good. I just got to stop doing this, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's a lot of people. Paul Galassi meeting. I, I was a master of Kung Fu fan. Right. Forever. Him and Doug Mensch doing Master Kung Fu was James Bond with Bruce Lee in it. It was great comics. Those lines, and, man. Yeah, man. And then and then years later, I'm writing for him and drawing with him, you know. Or Jim Stranko having just grabbing dinner with Jim Stranko. I mean, that was a guy. I bought every comic that Jim Stranko ever did, and now I can just call him and we talk and we chat about stuff. And I'm like, what? What happened? What the hell? <laughs> uh, you know. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm inspired by so many people, but definitely the guys who put in all the work to make my life easier um, definitely inspire me. Yeah, well, I, I can keep going on and on. Oh, you know? well, I, I bet. I, and I know that you, you when you attend cons and you get to meet people that have been um, affected by the work that you've done, uh, I, I know that has to be something special. I bet that there there is maybe a common theme. Do you, do you ever get... Um, people that come up and they will tell you about a particular piece of work, whether it's writing or inking and just go, Hey, this one book really was something to me. And, and it would just be one that you would not have expected. Like for me, for you, my yeah. favorite work that, that you've done may be something that you might not expect. It's when you worked with uh, Ron Lim and cosmic powers, number one. <laughs> yeah. The, the Thanos. Uh, yeah, that was fun. That was a fun book. Um, and Ron Lim was a guy I actually inked. Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I actually uh, I, I had his T-shirt. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, I actually inked Ron when I first started for Eternity Comics on a comic called New Mutants. Right. So like not New Mutants. It was uh, uh, X Mutants. I was gonna say New Mutants. I, I'm, I'm losing. Yeah, no, losing it, it was it was X Mutants for Eternity Comics. Um, well, yeah, I do get that. I, I get a lot of, um, lately I've been getting a lot of women to come up to me and said, hey, you know, issue 25 of Harley Quinn, 
really changed the way I looked at my relationship. And I get stuff like that. I get a lot of, and, and this tells you I've been around a long time. I get a lot of people in the business coming up to me and going, I know you don't remember me, but you gave me a portfolio review uh, 12 years ago. And you told me to stop looking at other people's comic art and start looking at photo, whatever. You know, I gave them some advice and they just say, now I'm drawing this book and I just want to tell you that made me change. I do give a good review. I actually won an award for best person to ask for a portfolio review <laughs> at a con. Because I sit with the person and I said, do you need me to tell you you're great or do you want to get better? And if they say, I want to get better, and I said, okay. And then I dig in and I said, you're going to have to take notes, you know. Um because uh, so I get a lot of that or I yeah, I do get like Daredevil one people go. I love Daredevil right. one. It's kind of or Marvel Knights is when I got into comics is one I get a lot. So they go, I saw you on TV or you talked about this. I was on MTV talking to, when we right before Marvel Knights we were on MTV and I bought every Marvel Knights title it was the first comics I bought and I've been buying comics ever since. You know, that kind of stuff is great to hear. I do get like firemen who say, "When is Ash coming back?" Because oh. because it was a fireman superhero, so I do have a bunch of firemen fans. Um, it's really nice that, that it, or once in a while, Amanda and I will be out, and a couple of drinks will come to our table, and it's and it's usually a fan buying us around, and of course we tell them to come over and sit with us for a couple of minutes and hang out. We were in Italy. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, we were in Italy. We were in Milan, and uh, we were in an outdoor cafe. Amanda and I are just having a drink and talking, and this young guy comes up to us, and he goes, I just want to say hi. I'm a big fan of you both, and I don't want to bother you. And he ran away, and I was like, dude, you can hang out. He goes, no, no, I don't want to bother you. I just wanted to say hello, and he ran away, and we were like, like how crazy, you know? Um, so, yeah, man, I, you know, I, I, it's it's all surreal. You know, at the end of the day, though, you got to get back to work, right? right. Um, but, I, but it's funny because I, I – I sometimes feel so in my head. I feel like I do these books and, and then uh, I don't know what happens to them in the world. But then when you do a convention, you see like people come up and they do say, yeah, this book changed my way. Or I like, you know, Amanda gets it a lot too. Like I, she gets a lot of women going. I never thought I could draw comics till I saw you drawing. And, I, you know, I've always loved your work. And, you know, um, so that's the best flattery. I mean, that stuff is great ego stuff. I, at the end of a con, Amanda and I usually walk out like real high, like we got like a really good natural high, um, and then we want to get back to work, which is you know, um, yeah, we we really uh, look even even on Twitter, everybody that follows me, I figure they're making a choice. They don't have to follow me, right? I don't ask anybody. I don't say you have to follow me. I don't. But when they do, I take it seriously, you know, and uh, so. Everyone that does follow me, I noticed the, the the nasty comments come from people that don't follow me, and I always right. laugh. I'm like, well, that's obvious, you know. Um, but uh, it's part of the job. It's the social interaction is part of the job, uh, and and we we love it when people come up and say a book meant something. It it just means the world. It means that okay, that wasn't just some gig, you know. That actually, look, that that cosmic power is. You know, that was a fun comic. I thought I was so lucky when I got that because they had me inking all these like overnight books that were like late for deadlines and stuff. And then they gave me cosmic powers and they said, you have like a week and a half on this one. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then it had Galactus and Surfer. And I was like, fantastic. You know, I inked the cover of Ron. And I remember every book. Um, and, and sometimes each one has a story, which is. The worst, probably the worst or the best podcast I could ever do where I talk about every comic I ever did each week. Because <laughs> I remember everything on the books. I remember how much time I had to do it, what was going on, the drama. I had drama books, you know. Really? Um, so it's kind of fun stuff. But anyway, um, it's always nice. Like, like your, back to your question, it's always fantastic when people come up and say that because it really makes you feel good. Well, before we finish up here, I've got one last thing. It's just uh, I've started doing this uh, ever since I finished the tool to do this. Uh, okay. any, anybody that's either in the industry or around the industry, I always try and give a little quiz to. Part of our okay. website, uh, we have something called the Ultimate Comic Movie Database. So okay. the whole concept is uh, basically everything 
uh, that's ever been based on a comic strip or a comic book that was made into a movie is their okay. source material, writers, artists, and it's completely searchable and customizable. So you can look at your, you're going to have that conversation with a friend and well, who's been, who's been, who's worked with this person? You can put those two names and it'll see if they've ever been on a comic movie together, that sort of a thing. But okay. it also has a top 100 uh, of who has been in the most proper in the most uh, productions based on a comic so i'm going to ask you uh okay not not uh not striking anything out so we're this is everything this is comic strips comic books everything okay. what what person do you think has been credited in the absolute most comic movies credited uh, I know Michael Uslan is credited in every Batman movie as a producer, but let me think credited, right? Because it'd have to be somebody behind the scenes. Well, uh, uh, let's focus on actors and, and we'll just do actors. Who's the actor that has been in the most? Hmm, most superhero movies. Any comic movie. A comic book movie. My brain went right to uh, Tony Stark. What's his name? Uh, um, you know, um, the actor, uh, Junior. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, now, now, now you've passed it to me. I feel terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. So that's my, my brain went right to that first. But it's going to be obviously somebody a little. And then the other one is the, the guy that's. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, this because it's secondary. Like Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson. Is a lot of lot. shit, right? Because yeah. Sin City and, you know. Um, I wish Wesley Snipes Snipes was in more Blades, but that's not going to happen. Let me think. Um, yeah, uh, it's going to be somebody I'm not thinking about, which I know it's, it's, uh, I know I'm, I'm ambushing you here. (laughs) Okay. Go go ahead. Give it to me because I'm not going to be able to guess. Mickey Rooney. Mickey Mickey Rooney Rooney? was in 63 productions based on a comic back, uh, a long like time ago, old Superman show, or like the uh, it was a, a series uh, called Mickey McGuire. So the comic strip was called Toonerville Folks, and they made sixty three movies based on that. He creeps in. out my uh, my mother in law. <laughs> she finds it, she finds him creepy. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't I know get why, that. but you know. Yeah, but that's back in the 30s, 20s and 30s. So most people aren't yeah. going to get Okay, that see, one. my I'm thinking now, if I, God, yeah. Because, I mean, let's be honest, the, you know, uh, the guy who played Superman in the Superman TV show is in more movies than any of these guys. And Flash Gordon, whoever played Flash Gordon way back when, was in how many damn serials, you right, know? Right, So it's kind of it's kind of impressive to see kind of the history and how everything fits together. And I'm, I'm always curious. So if you ever want yeah. to uh, stump your friends... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure all of these will stump me because I, because I, you know, I don't know as much as you know, and it's funny because I still haven't seen some superhero movies, which is, uh, you know, we just saw the second Avengers not too long ago. Oh yeah. Um, but like, I still haven't seen Doctor Strange or Ant Man two or um, uh, God, there's probably a couple more. We saw Captain Marvel finally. That was anti- that was very anticlimactic. Everyone yeah. was telling me how great it was, and I yeah, watched it. And I was great. like, "Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it was just okay." Um, but you know, when you write superheroes all day long, the first thing you want to go see in the movies is not always superheroes. Right. I I, I got to be honest. I'd rather see a good western uh, or uh, or you know some kind of. I do like crime movies. I, I thought Motherless Brooklyn was one of my favorite movies this year that nobody saw. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Have you seen it or no? I have not. I've read about it. I've I've been. Uh, some, I'm sure, much like you, have my my fingers in too many pies trying to get too much going. But the last really awesome one I saw was Knives Out. Yeah, Knives Out was a blast. We saw that in a crowded theater, and I saw I, yeah uh, uh, the the one with the, the Brooklyn motherless Brooklyn. Nobody was in the theater when I went to see it, That's a shame. and it left such an impression on me. It was great. Um, it was one of those movies that you can tell he put Ed Norton put everything he had into it. It was the, down to the music, down to everything. Again, one of those movies. I think it was one of the best ones this year, but it, nobody seems to it didn't hit on anybody's radar. Oh, I but it's it's a, it's a classic crime story. That's why it's like a real detective noir, nineteen fifties movie. And I don't think you know. I think a lot of people like you know 
see that as corny now, I guess. I, I always liked him quite a bit, pretty much, and well, anything really. But uh, yeah, me, me too, me too. But uh, um, there's so many movies, though. I mean, I got to be honest. I just saw Charlie's Angels, the new one. Oh, any good? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had high hopes for it <laughs> i i thought the ones with cameron diaz and everything were fun yeah this one the story was not that good the character development was not that great the interaction between the actors felt 1982 ish uh. and and the direction i gotta say they should have got better choreography uh it was flat mm. um i gotta be honest with you i i I really wanted to like it. Like I went in cause I, I really, I was like, I'm going to watch this. It was on the plane coming back from London. And I said, I'm really dying to see this movie. And the minute I put it on and, and she says, well, that was kind of unspectacular. And I'm like, it's actually surprisingly okay. Yeah. Um, it kind of, I, you know, I, I, I felt bad for everyone involved cause they looked like they were trying, but sometimes things are just a miss. You, you can't do anything about it. Well, and that's just, that's the know. thing to remember, though, too. Even if if it's a project that it's maybe not what you, I always talk about this with my co-host who is not here with us at the moment. But any right. production that gets to the point of being made and released, there's so much effort that goes into putting that out. Even if it's a miss, you have to appreciate all that effort. No, I, I do, and like I said, it's not. I'm not. If you like the Charlie's Angels thing, the last five minutes are the best part, which is really funny to say. But the last five minutes with the credits is my favorite part because it did something that the other movies didn't do. It, it tried to be its own thing. And I think the movie would have been more successful if it was not called Charlie's angels. Ah, bringing up it, expectations that didn't hit. Yeah. Because the first two films were so over the top and crazy that it was hard for this one to land anywhere near him. You know, yeah. um, if it was just called the terrible trio or something, it would have done much better. <laughs> Maybe. 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 But I, I can't I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk with me, and I've I've really appreciated it. Uh, like I said, I've been a huge fan personally for quite some time, and uh, getting the opportunity to uh, spread a little uh, conversation with you over the airwaves to to the people that listen to our show is just a a high point for me. I want to like I said thank you very much again. Well, pleasure was mine, man. It was it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Oh, no problem. 